0: A few years ago, <clears throat> there was a survey that was done in Great Britain involving school aged children, young school aged children, four, five, six years old. And what they were uh, uh, trying to assess was how much of the Christmas story was understood by early uh, elementary age children in Britain. I asked a series of Different questions, I must give you a few of the responses. These, uh, the first set are concerning the angel Gabriel. Aaron six from Broom Hill said the angel Gabriel is a big white fairy. He helped Mary and Joseph look after the baby, kind of like a doctor. Jay five from Broom Hill as well said there was also an angel called Gabriel whose favorite thing. Was to fly around all day. Catherine, nine, from Saint James's Church of England Primary School, she said Gabriel was the herald angel. He was a boy, but he's played by a girl in Christmas plays. Holly, age seven, had the angel Gabriel's a fairy that God sent to help us. Millie, age 7, said, I don't know who the angel is, but I like Jesus. Clearly, she's been coached a little. What about Jesus' parents? Charlie, age 4, said, Jesus' mummy and daddy are called Jovis and Mary. And Ansel, age 6, said, Jesus' parents were gods. At four, five, six, seven, age, nine, those answers are amusing, they're funny. We come to the story that we read, Marion's already read half of it this morning. We're gonna finish the second half a lot of times the details begin to get jumbled you probably go to a christmas party this season somebody is going to have one of those little tests and they're going to start testing your knowledge of the christmas story and you're going to be surprised at what you really don't remember we we have a lot of fable written into the uh, the the modern way in which we celebrate and in fact one of our hymns this morning is away away in a manger and i don't want to cast aspersion on our hymns, but there's a little line in there, the the second stanza, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. That one sticks a little bit in theologians' space because right? one of the things about Jesus is that he is just like us. But when they were writing this hymn, there's this desire that we have to make Jesus extra special. He was a baby, but He didn't cry. He didn't have bad diapers. He didn't get a snotty nose. We want to clean Him up a little. We want to clean the story up sometimes. We're so familiar with it we we almost forget what's going on. Um, it, it's not just for children. It's not just a Christmas. It's not just to get us to the presents. It's not just to get to the tree on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve. This is significant stuff we're talking about. And so we're headed to Luke chapter one, verse thirty nine you want to find a Bible and turn there, we're going to finish the story. So, Marian read for us what technically is called the Annunciation. And that is where Gabriel comes and he visits Mary and he delivers the message. And we're going to talk about that in the sermon this morning as well. After that happened, verse 39, this is what we read. At that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Now, that's about 80 miles from where she was, okay? So when you see she hurried to a town in the hill country, guess what? Mary made a significant journey, probably eight to ten days worth. Um, Some people put her on a donkey. Chances are she walked. She walked from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea roughly 80 miles it's a significant journey would have taken her 10 days where she entered zachariah's home and greeted elizabeth when elizabeth heard mary's greeting the baby leaped in her womb and elizabeth was filled with the holy spirit and a loud voice she exclaimed blessed are you among women women and blessed is the child you will bear But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. Verse 46, And Mary said, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank You for Your Word this morning. We ask that our meditations upon it and the words of my lips concerning it would be acceptable in Your sight and good for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're looking at a song of trust. We're we're going to look at the entirety of, of this whole section, both the Annunciation and the visit, and then we're going to look at the song. But the title of the sermon is A Song of Trust, and the first thing that I want you to see is that a song of trust that Mary sings is the product of a heart and a mind that is disrupted. As we slow the story down, as we take in what is being said, because we've heard it so many times... I want you to look when the angel Gabriel come comes to Mary, he makes the announcement. Mary initially is thrown into confusion two different times. Verse 29 is the first con- confusing moment for her. Mary was greatly troubled. Mary was greatly troubled. She's greatly troubled at the words of Gabriel. Now what has Gabriel spoken? Gabriel has come to her, and he has said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, those words from Gabriel are the initial confusing uh, words that that Mary is hearing. And she's thinking to herself, What in the world have I done that God would come and visit me, and that He would tell me that I am highly favored? favored and that he would be with me. I mean, Gabriel's announcing something fairly significant if you look at it. Mary, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary hears that and her initial reaction is, you've got the wrong person. (laughs) I'm, I'm just a young farm girl. Now Mary at this point is probably 13 to 15 years old. And she, she's done nothing. I mean, her life is, has been nothing to this point. I mean, really. She's poor. She's just a, a, a young lady. She's never done anything. And the angel of the Lord Gabriel himself comes, visits her. Those words are confusing to her. And she was troubled and she wondered, what, where is this going? What is it that you're telling me? Greatly unsettling. The second disruption is to her heart and mind in verse 34. So the angel says to her, verse 30, Mary, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God, you'll conceive, you'll give birth to a son, you're to call him Jesus. He will be great, he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants. And then there's a really important word there, forever. Forever. Everything up to that point, you could you could perhaps, you could kind of put in the category of, okay, somebody great and, and powerful is going to be born to me. But when you get the word forever, and then you get the additional, his kingdom will never end, that puts it in a whole new category. Because now what he is saying is something far more than significant than, hey, you're going to give birth to a ruler. Now you're going to give birth to a ruler that is going to rule forever. And his kingdom. Will never end. Mary hears those words. In verse 34. She asks the question. How will this be? Now. What makes those. The, what makes those words striking. Is. If you remember Zechariah. Zechariah uttered almost the similar phrase. And you remember what happened to him? The the angel said, you're not going to talk for nine months, Zachariah. And he zipped him. Here is Mary. Mary utters nearly the same phrase. How will this be? Since I am a virgin. So scholars have, you know, we've, there's you got to kind of wrestle with this. Well, what's going on here? Zechariah gets zipped for nine months. Mary expresses nearly the same thought. I don't understand. I, I I can't comprehend this. How will this happen? And she gets a full-on answer and is sent on her way in in her belief. And so there's there tends to be kind of a camp that looks at these and says, well, Zachariah was uttering in unbelief and Mary was uttering in belief, right? Like, okay, I'm there. I hear you. I I can't quite understand how this could be possible. Mary gets the birds and the bees at this point and she realizes, you know, some things have to happen here in the natural occurrence of things in order for me to be pregnant. And so she utters this some, somehow in belief. But she's disrupted. She, she clearly doesn't understand. And so the angel Gabriel gives her a little bit more. I wrote in my newsletter article for this month about the song, very popular. If you have a favorite musical artist, and they haven't sung Mary, Did You Know? Just wait, because they probably will at some point. Did Mary know? Yes. Mary knew. She knew every bit of it. She's perplexed by it, but she knows. She knows that the baby that she is going to give birth to will have the throne of his father, David. Listen. That's grand. I mean, David was the king. And the baby she's going to give birth to is going to possess the throne of David. He is going to reign over Jacob's descendants. One of the things that you know, right, as we work our way through this little section, is, oh, Jacob. Remember Jacob? We just did Genesis. We just did a year worth of Genesis. And so we know how important Abraham was Isaac and Jacob are to the story. They are central to the entirety of the biblical story. And so here the angel says, and he's going to reign over Jacob's descendants forever, the twelve tribes, those sons that are going to come out out of Genesis and Exodus, on and on. Those guys. They're going to have a lot of children. As numerous as what? The stars in heaven and the sand on the seashore. And the baby, Mary, you're going to have, he will reign over them forever. Wow. And he'll have a kingdom that'll never end. Did Mary know? You better believe she knew. She knew that she was going to give birth to someone incredibly special how verse thirty five the Holy Spirit will come on you, the power of the most high will overshadow you, so the holy one will be so the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. That is not a generic term that is not hey we 're all sons and daughters of God that is he will be the Son of God. Mary knew, she knew the significance of the birth, she knew the significance surrounding this entire event. She was perplexed, she was pushed to the edge. It's mind-boggling what is communicated here. The God of all creation, the one who made you, Mary, is going to become a single cell in your womb that is going to grow and grow and you will give birth to him and he will grow and he will assume the throne of David. This is monumental stuff. Oh, and you're going to give him the name what? Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. St. Augustine put it this way fourth century, maker of the sun, he is made under the sun. In the Father, he remains. From his mother, he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless, filling the world He lies in a manger, ruler of the stars. He nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. But so that his greatness is not diminished by his smallness, nor his smallness overwhelmed by his greatness. This is no small affair. When you read the Annunciation, what you are reading is the angel Gabriel coming and announcing what we call the Incarnation. That is that God would come down and He will take the form of a man. Listen, this is the crux of all Christianity. If we don't have the incarnation, if we don't have the annunciation, if we don't have this interaction of Mary and Gabriel, we have nothing. Easter makes no sense. All we do is is really pointless without this interaction in Luke chapter 1. An interaction that no doubt Luke got from Mary herself. Luke is very precise there at the beginning of his book. Listen, I'm going to write down here. I'm going to put all these things down. Luke was a physician. He was very detailed. He wanted the facts. And so no doubt he heard this story from Mary herself. And he records it, understanding how absolutely critical this is to our faith. In at least four ways. First, without the Incarnation we would be eternally lost. John Calvin said this, The situation would surely have been hopeless had the very majesty of God not descended to us, since it was not in our power to ascend to Him. Hence, it was necessary for the Son of God to become for us Emmanuel, that is, God with us. The second point is, in terms of the importance of the Incarnation, the Incarnation identifies God with us. The representative, the mediator that would be needed could not come from anyone else. The work had to have been done by God. And so God became man in order to identify with and unite to us. He had to become one of us. The third point is through the incarnation, God satisfies the law's requirements. Jesus comes and takes on the form of a man. The Apostle Paul calls him the second Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. The second Adam. And so here is Jesus. He comes down. He takes flesh upon Himself. And He fully obeys the law's demands. Every single one of them. He was perfect. Completely fulfilled the law. Listen. He never broke God's law. Did He cry in the manger? Yes. Did He catch cold? Probably. Did He throw a baseball through a window? You bet. But He didn't lie about it. He lived just as you and I. He was tempted in every way, the writer of Hebrews says, but what? He was without sin. The Incarnation. Through the Incarnation, fourthly, God reconciles us to Himself. Christ had to become man so He could bear our load, our identity. But He had to be God in order that He would have the power to sufficiently pay our debt. That's the atonement. Don't miss the Incarnation this Christmas. I've gone back, you may not know this, and Miriam may agree or disagree, I don't know, but I find the Advent season very difficult to preach. And I think it's because of the familiarity. Because we've heard the story, we sing hymns, we do the kind of the same routine every year, and so there's something of it that just kind of, wears on us Protestant ministers a little bit, and other traditions maybe not so much because they're used to a liturgical calendar. And so it's a difficult time. And as I was thinking through this this week, thinking about preaching Mary's song, I realized I don't talk about the Incarnation very much during Christmas. And you know why? Because there's almost an assumption that we all get it. And I'm not so sure that we all get it. Jesus came down. He was born. He lived. Yes. All of those things. We kind of march through Christmas. But Luke is telling us so much in these verses as we hear about what the angel proclaimed to Mary. He took on flesh. God became man. Here's the second thing. A song of trust is the product of a heart that knows its need. So the first thing is, right, the song that Mary sings arises out of a a brain that's rattled, a heart that's rattled, a person that has been unsettled. And so I would just ask you, has the incarnation unsettled you at all? It's unsettled every single person who, who has ever given much thought to the incarnation at all. It will rattle you to your bones. And then just the amazing wonder of it all that God would do that. It's unique to Christianity. The second point is the song of trust is the product of a heart that knows its need. If you look at the very first few lines of Mary's song, you read this. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Now, Mary says this, she's saying, listen, every part of my being is involved in magnifying the Lord. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's everything that she has. She's making much of the Lord. That's what it means to glorify God, to make much of him. And so she is making much of him with everything that she has. Why? She tells us. My soul glorifies. My spirit rejoices. Why? For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary knows Mary. Mary understands her own heart. Mary, Mary this humble servant, gets humility. She knows she has nothing to offer God. She knows she's not rich, famous, wealthy. She has no status. She has no special gifts, no special talents, no special abilities. And so she's marveling at the fact, what? That God would come and visit her. Me? I have nothing. I have nothing to offer you in the way of specialness. And that's the heart of Mary's song. She understood who she was. She also understood who God was. And because she understood God and how amazing He is, how large He is, how grand He is, that He knows all, sees all, is all, then when she apprehends the fact that He's come to visit me and that I will give birth to the Son of God, she's blown away. Now, this isn't... Don't... Don't hear me this isn't worm theology this is as c. s. Lewis says it, right? True humility is thinking is not thinking less of yourself. it is thinking of yourself less and Mary is just thinking of herself less she's she's just thinking listen i I'm really nothing I'm really nothing special. I'm just me, I'm just Mary. I'm just living a sinner. She understood her theology. If there's, she understood her Bible as she had it. Because her song is nothing but Scripture. Here's something to think about. If Mary thought more of herself and less of God, if she thought more of herself than she did, she wouldn't have sung this song. Because this song is about God. It's about God's grace. It's about God's mercy. If Mary thought well of herself, then she would have extolled herself. If Mary would have had Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, she would have posted something about herself. God visited me today. But she didn't. Instead, she sings a song about God. Visiting her But when she says that, she includes, he's been mindful of the humble estate of a servant. And then she goes on to extol him. It's not about me. It's all about him. He has done great things for me. And then she says, great and holy, what is his name? That's what it looks like to magnify the Lord. A song of this magnitude can only arise from a heart that knows its place Before the Lord. I'm thinking of Psalm 51. Surely I was sinful. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I can hear Mary thinking those thoughts. And saying those things. Repeating that Psalm. God. I'm just a young sinner. I have nothing. And yet here you are utilizing me. When we're making much of ourselves. It is hard to make much of God and it is hard to make much of others. I want you to think about that. There's a very practical sense here in which the vulnerability of God initiates a vulnerability in Mary. See that? Think about that. So God is able to condescend to Mary and to communicate what it is he's getting ready to do in the world. So you in this point, you can think Philippians chapter 2, okay? He who knew no sin comes down. He takes on the form of a man and he goes to the cross. And the Apostle Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he gave it up. Okay, hey, that's the vulnerability. He gave up all that in order to come down here and to meet you and to meet me, to meet humanity. He wasn't too good for us. You see what that vulnerability does? It creates a relationship. Does that vulnerability exist in you? Where you are able to give up thinking much of yourself? Claiming all your own status in order to go out to others, and to be vulnerable. Listen, good relationships only happen when there's real vulnerability. When someone says, "Hush," you know, yeah, me too, I struggle with that as well. I've had a hard time with that as well. Listen, do you know why AA is so successful? Do you know why there are AA meetings all over the place every single night of the year? Because they're able to raise their hands and say, "Me too." And that kind of vulnerability draws people together in ways that we don't do a very good job of here in the church. But God initiated that sort of vulnerability first. Why shouldn't we? Finally, a song of trust is the product of a heart that knows the old promises. Here's what I mean by that. When you look at Mary's song, the entire second half of the song is really big theology. She knows her Bible. She knew God's plan of salvation. She knew what was intended. She understood it. Listen to to this part of the song again. He His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. That's Old Testament language. Generation to generation. God deals generationally with His people. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. When you hear that, what do you think? Mighty deeds with His arm. What's the mightiest deed of the Old Testament? It's the Exodus. It is that event where God goes down to Egypt. He meets His people. He brings them out. He does mighty and amazing things in the Exodus. And so she's thinking, He did amazing stuff way back then. Awesome stuff. He brought His people out. He humbled those who thought much of themselves, the Egyptians. Verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, but He has sent the rich away empty. Mary, Mary knows the storyline of the Old Testament. She knows how God is for the little guy. She knows that, that Israel is supposed to look out for those who are weak and helpless among them. She knows that God is going to do that and wants to do that. Verse 54, He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. What? Just as He promised our ancestors. Every single line in Mary's song is packed with theological meaning because she gets it. She remembered and understood the promise that God made to Abraham that he would bless the nations through him. Listen, that very promise extends to us today. You are blessed as you know the Lord Jesus because of Father Abraham. Because He blessed him, He has blessed you. He continues with you. His Spirit abides with you. And so this Christmas season, it is appropriate for us to sing Emmanuel. It is appropriate for us to announce that God indeed is with us. Why? Not so much in an individualistic way, but that he came down and he inhabits his people. And he has brought us together. And theologians have pointed out it is that it's interesting that Mary doesn't just burst into song straight away. So Gabriel announces all of this to Mary. It's interesting that she doesn't just sing away right then. Instead, what does she do? She spends 10 days walking 80 miles to see Elizabeth in order to sing her song. You know what that tells us? Going it alone is not the way God made us. He created us for community. And so Mary goes to find Elizabeth to, to celebrate, to rejoice, to, to share the good news of what is happening. Elizabeth already knows She already knows what's happening. And so she's just bubbling and bursting when Mary comes in. Oh my goodness, the mother of my Lord is here. You know, that Mary must have gotten goosebumps the second that Elizabeth said that to her. You know. And then she sings her song. Let me ask you this morning. as we come as we... Ponder the Incarnation this season as we think about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the One who came to save us from our sin? Is there a song in you waiting to come out? Are you you bursting inside at any point, anywhere? Jesus loves me. There's the old theologian Carl Barton Don't go read him. He's terrible. But he's one of those real heady guys, German. Someone asked Karl Barth at the end of his life. He's written volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes. Tell me about Jesus. What do you? He said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. All the fanfare, all the up incarnational ministry, God showing it. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that He came down and He took on the form of a man for you to live, to die, to connect you to the Creator of the universe? Do you know that? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for the story that we have, our account of Mary. Meeting Gabriel, hearing the amazing news that she would give birth to our Savior. Father, cause us to ponder, perhaps go deep, perhaps just revel in the truth that Jesus loves us. Well, we need love. There are folks here this morning that need to know they're loved by you. They can be right with you even this very day. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We want to magnify your name and all the earth. So now we'll sing in Jesus' name. Amen.